you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Merry Christmas, man. We're so glad you made it to this fantastic service, our Christmas service. Man, my name is Carrie Robinson, and my wife and I are the pastors here at the Movement Church. She was the beautiful lady who was up here a minute ago who is now covered in suds. We were actually doing that for you, mostly. Thank you. So I was sitting next to you. You needed that, so it was good. Man, this is one of my favorite Christmas services. It really is. And I, I actually am excited about what's going on this morning. Uh, We're right in the middle of a series called At the Movies, where we've been taking clips from some amazing Christmas films and pulling in practical application tied to the Word of God for our life, just to have fun in the holiday season. And so in the journey, as we were preparing, uh, looking at all the movies, I thought about doing Die Hard today, because that's truly a Christmas movie. We said, no, we'll hold off on that one. But, uh, you know, honestly, I just got this place, I was like, you know, there's not a movie that really reflects what I feel God is doing in my heart specifically this season, this week. And so I wrote my own movie. Is that cool? Can we do that? Now, I've, I've submitted some specific production costs, and so those haven't come in, so we haven't filmed it or anything like that. But I want to unpack for you what I think God wants to do today, but more importantly, what He wants to say to you and to me. So I'm going to unpack the greatest story ever told. And maybe from a different twist, maybe different than what you've heard, but man, my, I, I just challenge you. I really do challenge you right where you're seated, right where you're at. Let's make the next few moments together full of expectation. And one of the greatest things we can do is say, God, today you speak to my heart. So open my ears to hear and my heart to receive. I want to read a passage of scripture. It's one of my favorites during Christmas specifically. It's really where we pull the fullness of the Christmas story. And uh, it's found in Luke chapter 2. As a child growing up, my dad made us memorize this every year. So I I still to this day have almost 95% of it memorized. But I brought it on the screens for you today. And it kind of sets the stage for our movie today. Check this out. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. It says this, And it came to pass... In those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, everybody say, and lo. lo. I don't know what that means. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore 
afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you, and this is for you too today, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto us, or unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we thank you that you are here today. God, what an amazing time to be alive on this earth. What an amazing season to celebrate the goodness and the faithfulness of all that you are, that all that you have done. So today, God, we sit with great expectation, hoping to experience the fullness of you today like we never have before. So we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, I pray, and everybody said... Amen. That just means I agree. Well, the scene is now set in the movie we're unpacking today. In the beginning of every movie that you watch, they always set the scene in the very first minutes of the film. It's when they'll do a flyover of a great city, maybe Chicago or New York, and they'll identify landmarks so that you know what city it is that this movie is taking place in. And then they'll begin to identify something so that you can know what time period it is. Like, they'll look at the cars and see if it's from the 70s or the 80s or today. And then the attire of the people walking on the streets, if they're wearing bell-bottoms and paisley shirts. We know it's either, you know, just somebody's bad wardrobe or probably the 70s. And it begins to depict the age and the time and the location. And so now the scene in the movie we're talking about today is set. It's first century Jerusalem. First century Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And one thing that's important to note is that God has spoken to his children all throughout time, but there is a 400 year window when God was seemingly silent. Throughout ancient Israel, God would speak to prophets and priests, kings and leaders, and they would be, stand up and proclaim the truth of what God was saying to the people. But 400 years, 400 years has passed, and then God begins to step onto the scene. Now there's a prequel to the movie today. It's called Genesis. And it's where humanity steps onto the scene. And we see the creation of man. The creation of the earth. And there humanity is presented with this dichotomy. This challenge which will follow them throughout the course of humanity. And that is do I pursue what God has for me? Or do I pursue my own agenda? And then on the scene of this prequel Genesis steps the adversary. The enemy, Satan, the devil, who now entices humanity not to pursue the things of God, but to pursue their own desires. And you probably know the story. Even if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe, permission to belong before you believe, but you know the story of Adam and Eve faced with this dilemma. And we know the decision that was made. Human, mankind decided to pursue its own agenda rather than the things of God, and now humanity is broken. Sin enters the world. Devastation. Destruction. 
calamity, filth. We need a sacrifice. Something must be done. Something must be paid. The ransom for sin and consequence must be paid. What will happen? How will we proceed? And that is where we find our film today in part two of a series you've not seen but hopefully read before. God steps onto the scene. He begins to speak. And just like in all great movies, now that the scene is set, he begins to develop the characters. Character development is essential to any great movie. We have to understand who it is that we're watching in this film. And this film would look a lot like a nativity scene. I tried to find one of the old school plastic ones that are lit from behind, but they're like $300 to $500 for a piece of garbage. So I didn't do that. So pretend and visualize with me, if you will. But there's now a character development taking place. This is the time in the movie when Morgan Freeman is on as a narrator saying, Andy Dufresne. Anyone? Greatest movie of all time. This is when we find Forrest Gump sitting on a park bench as the feather floats down and he looks to his right. Some of you weren't even born when this movie came out, but that's okay, we're praying for your soul. And he looks to the woman and he says, life is like a box of chocolates. This is when we find Ray rummaging through the Star Destroyer, hoping maybe she is the last remaining Jedi. Any Star Wars fans out there? Let me just, spoiler alert, Rogue One is okay. Okay. If it's on your Christmas list, we're going to Rogue One, return the tickets, hang at home. Watch the original, they're way, um, anyways, we'll move on. This is when the character development takes place, so let's take a look at the characters of our story today, starting with one of the most significant ones, Mary, whom today I'll call the unsuspecting. And she kind of steps onto the scene in a way that would probably shock many of us. We found it in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, listen to what the scripture says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. God comes on the scene and begins to speak. And look at Mary's response just a few verses later, Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So an angel shows up in Nazareth. Nazareth. Now Nazareth was a a little village just about 70 miles outside of Jerusalem. And it was a tough town. In fact, it was known for its corruption and low morals. There was a statement that was said because of the prophets of old that can anything really good actually come from Nazareth? And now we find this young girl, Mary. And yes, my friend, she is a young girl. Most historians believe that she's probably between the ages of 14 and 16. A little bit creepy for today's age, right? Well, let's just be honest, a lot bit creepy, yeah? My daughter's 12, and she's not getting married for 38 more years, so it's awesome for her. 
She's betrothed to be married to this guy named Joseph. And there's three phases in the engagement process for someone in ancient Israel. The first phase is what would happen between fathers. They would come together and say, hey, my son and your daughter, let's make this a thing. And they would make an agreement between each other. The woman didn't even have an option. Don't you love that, ladies? No, you don't. I can answer for you. The second phase would be what's called the betrothal. And this is a ceremony where they come together and they make promises to be with each other that I am yours and you are mine, but they're not yet married officially. And then next would be the marriage. And this is when the groom shows up at a time that he decides and says, hey, baby, you mine. I think that, that's paraphrased, but I think that's probably what he would sound like. So we have Mary on the scene here and so much is happening. The scripture says, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, says the scripture, at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Each line of this passage is unpacking and unfolding a little bit more of the development of the character of who Mary is. Isn't it interesting and, uh, to note what it is the angel said to Mary? He said, greetings, O favored one. He said, the Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. Notice he doesn't say, greetings, O perfect one. That should be good news for some of us in this room today. I know many of you are perfect, but some of you are like me and you are not. Let me point to you right now. I'm kidding. <laughs> he doesn't say greetings, oh perfect one. He said greetings, oh favored one. He doesn't say greetings to you who is just a little bit better than they are. No, no, he just says, hey, you have found favor with God, which simply means that there is something beyond the appearance, beyond just the outward. That God has seen because her heart's focus was on who God is. And we know this because the scripture says in 1 Samuel 16, it shows us where God looks when he sees humanity. It says this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but check this out, but the Lord looks on the heart. Which just simply means that Mary's heart was focused on who God was. I just wonder... I wonder what our lives might be used like, what our lives might look like if we were found simply wanting to please the Lord. If we just made it our agenda to just focus in on what pleases God with our lives. God is not looking for perfection. Just someone who desperately wants to please Him. Now, you need to know this. She was definitely afraid. The scripture indicates this when the angel had to tell her again, no, 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 don't be afraid. You have found favor. She was fully aware of the cultural ramifications of what it would mean for her to be found with child before she is married. In many instances, this would mean that she would be killed. So don't tell me she wasn't afraid. She never would possibly understand the spiritual implications which would follow her simple obedience. I just wonder how our lives might be used if our heart was simply focused on pleasing the Lord. Pleasing the Lord. The second character that we see 
in this story is Joseph. And I like to call him the unprepared. We read about him, and, and what's interesting to note is that Joseph actually is never recorded as saying anything in the Scripture. Now, I'm sure he spoke. But I think he's probably a wise man, hence he didn't speak very much. We find out a little more about him in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and look at what the Scripture says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his, when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So now a lot of times when it comes to stories and characters in the Bible, we remove ourselves and automatically assume that they are close to sainthood. They were perfect and everything was great. But just imagine that this is you. And you're engaged to this girl and she comes to you and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Don't worry, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> this is where Joseph is at right now. But there's something in him that he didn't put her away shamefully. He could have gone before the tribe, gone before the people and said, hey, I don't know what happened. I didn't get with her. This is what, I, listen, get rid of this young lady right now. But the Bible says that he chose to do this quietly. And why is that? Is it because Mary was a good individual? And, and it's probable. She was an amazing individual. Obviously, she had found favor with God. Could it have been because he was a good man? Yes, I think that's a probability as well. But I also think there is something else that plays into this. Now, the scripture doesn't say this, so this is just my hypothesis. But a few verses prior to the one we just read, the Bible unpacks the lineage, the heritage of Joseph. Have you ever read the Bible and it's like so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so? You're like, oh my goodness. No judgment, no judgment, right? Well, there's a reason that that's in there. Just a few verses before, they unpacked the heritage of Joseph so that we know who he came from and it unpacks the lineage of Jesus. As you look through his heritage, his grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers and great-great-great-great-grandmothers and so on, in this list are kings and warriors, women of valor and courage. But you know who else is in this heritage? Murderers. And prostitutes, adulterers, and the like. I wonder if Joseph didn't put Mary away, perhaps because he understood grace before true grace was ever given to humanity. If he looked back through the lineage of his life and realized that if I can still stand here today before a faithful and loving God, having this in my past, then it doesn't matter what she's walking through, she deserves grace. That's the wonderful thing about God is that his redemptive plan, his, his redemptive hand holds the greatest of tragedies and molds it into the truest of triumphs. The greatest shame, the greatest regret, the greatest poor decisions that you've ever made, God's redemptive hand holds that and says, but wait, I'm going to take what you think is imperfect and a disqualifier and mold and shape it into a story of triumph where you would have never guessed possible, but one day you'll want to share the story of God's faithfulness and what you've walked through because he's been so good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Here we have Joseph, a good man, simple and practical. But yet his faith has been challenged. His, his fiancé shows up saying, I'm pregnant and this is God's. His faith has been challenged. I just wonder, what is the strength of your faith today? In the beginning of this series, week one, one of the questions that I ask over and over, because the Holy Spirit's been kind of putting this on my heart, but what is the thing that you're wrestling with God to say yes to? And what is the thing that God's been kind of, kind of pushing on you, saying, hey, it's time to say no to that? A great preacher in the L.A. area said that the mark of spiritual maturity is lag time. The distance between the command of God and our obedience. What is your faith like? The strength of your faith. It doesn't have to be perfect. But when God says move, are you willing to move? When he says sit, are you willing to sit? The scripture goes on. Joseph is faced with this challenge. But it says this, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, reminding him of his heritage, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, the Bible says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus, Joseph the Unprepared. Another character that's developing in our story, our movie today, is the shepherds. And I like to call them unexciting Luke 2 says this, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. Which begs the question, why the shepherds? Jesus has been born. Remember, we, we know the prequel, broken humanity, the need for a ransom. We pick up this movie and God sends his son, the answer, salvation, and the first people to be told are shepherds. Literally, most historians would tell you they have zero significance. In fact, they were considered lower class. Of all the livestock, sheep are considered the dumbest of animals. They will literally eat themselves to death. So shepherds have to keep them moving. I feel the same way sometimes. <laughs> sheep will just keep eating until they die. And so shepherds have to keep them moving. And so shepherds were considered lower class, insignificant. And yet they were told first, think about your life. Again, put yourself into this story for a moment if you and your spouse have been praying for a child and you find out you're pregnant, who is the first person that you call? 
Or maybe you've been hoping to get into a university and you've applied in multiple places and you found out you got accepted or that job that you interviewed for and you were just praying for and training for maybe the home that you've been wanting to purchase. Who is the first person that you call? It's not Ghostbusters, no. Probably someone of extreme significance in your life just before you posted on Instagram. Probably someone who means an amazing amount to you. So we put ourselves back in the story. Jesus is born, and who does God choose to tell first? The lowly shepherds. Which tells me that when God sends his son into the midst of humanity, there is no one below his grace and love and his mercy. There is no one beneath the fullness of his grace. There is no one who is insignificant in his mind. So if you're here today and you feel like a lowly shepherd, insignificant in the eyes of God, this story, this character is a reminder that you couldn't have more significance. You couldn't have more importance. That's why I think God chose to tell the shepherds. Our next character is the wise men. And I like to call them unfulfilled. We read about them in Matthew chapter 2. For those of you that may be new to the church, and maybe you're here, you're not sure if you believe this, that's okay, permission to belong before you believe, but spoiler alert, the wise men actually didn't show up for two years. Now we are in the, if you have a nativity scene at home and the wise men are there, it's not sacrilegious, permission to continue, it's okay. But the wise men show up, but for the sake of today, let's pretend that it's right now, if that's okay. We read about it in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now these wise men literally would have been more like astrologers or even more like a sorcerer or a seer. So these guys, according to ancient Israel, they actually would have been in in a, a group of people who were opposite of what God stands for. But they're still seeking the truth. They're still seeking the truth. Because they saw God revealing himself in nature and they pursued. You know, Romans talks about this very thing. How all of us have this internal desire for fulfillment that can only come from what God has to offer. No matter your faith, no matter your background, all of us have it there. Romans 1, 19 says this, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing. What's the scripture saying? That God is making himself known even in the very essence of nature. And that's what the wise men saw. They saw a star rising in the east and said, this is something greater than just a star. 
This is a significant moment. And that longing on the inside desired to be fulfilled by something only God could offer, so they pursued it. And my question to you today is, are you pursuing God? Not do you attend church, but are you pursuing God? Not do you know how to pray before meals, but are you pursuing God? Because there's more to what God has to offer than you could possibly ever imagine. The unfulfilled wise man. The next character might not be one that you would recognize or think about, especially in this movie of the nativity scene that we're talking through today. The next character that I'd like to unpack for you is what I would call underrated, and that character is the character of the manger. The character of the manger. Look at what the scripture says in Luke 2. It says this, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the end. The seemingly insignificant piece of equipment in a stable far separated from the inn, which most historians believe was more like a cave and probably a half a mile from the inn so that the odor from the livestock didn't affect the guests of the hotel. Surrounded by livestock and then this seemingly insignificant piece of furniture, if you will, merely doing what it was created to do. Simply doing what it was created to do. It was created to hold food. Food for the livestock. And what's interesting to note is what Jesus referred to himself as in John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, look at this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. This manger just simply holding food, and then in a moment holding hope for all mankind. You know, historians actually believe that the same wood used to craft the manger was probably used to craft the cross. Yet another type and shadow. Something as simple as a manger used to bring hope to the world and just 33 years later to be used as a vessel to bring salvation. I just wonder, as we explore this movie today, How God may have crafted you to bring both hope and salvation to the world that you live in. Not that you have paid the ultimate price, that Jesus paid that, and yet God created you and planted you in a moment of history. Surrounded by a sphere of influence called neighbors and co-workers, friends and family. Planted with the very essence of hope and life. And I wonder, I wonder if we're living our life just simply to do what we are created to do. What hope, what salvation that may bring. The manger, 
seemingly insignificant. Our final character today, of course, is the main character. This is Jesus. And I I put Jesus as under it all. Luke 2 says this, For unto you, not your neighbor, not your spouse, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Unto you, you right now, right here, So whether you feel like an unsuspecting Mary or an unprepared Joseph or perhaps you feel like an unexciting shepherd or maybe an unfulfilled wise man or even an unrated, underrated manger, Jesus still came for you. For you. Isaiah 6, 9 says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. You know what that means? He can handle it. Whatever it is that you are walking through, he can handle it. Whatever it is that you have gone through, he can handle it. Whatever it is that you are crying yourself to sleep at night because... It's happening right now and it doesn't even feel, it feels surreal and I'm just ready for this season to be over. God can handle that. The government is upon his shoulders. That means he has the strength. That means he is not swayed by who is in the presidency. He is not swayed by the economic strength of the United States of America. The government is upon his shoulders. Which means the biggest struggle that you have, the biggest pain that you have, the biggest regret and the biggest fear is on his shoulders. For unto you, is born this day a Savior. And His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. In a world where nothing lasts, He is everlasting. And the Prince of Peace. Matthew 1, says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Not a mystical creature, not a character from a book of old, but God with us. Right here, right now in the deepest, darkest moments of your life with you, in the greatest seasons of hope and excitement with you, when you don't know how to take the next step with you, with you, not everybody else, you, God with you. And that's why we sing songs. That's why we live a life, because he is so good. Christmas time, we sing, oh come, let us adore him. Why? Because in my darkest hour, he is with me. When I don't have the answers, he does. Oh come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. I want to pray for you today.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we thank you again that you are here. In this moment, in this time, and Lord, right now, we need you more than ever. We need your strength, your peace, and your hope. We can't do this on our own. So no matter where we fit into this story, whether we feel like hidden in obscurity or covered with shame, God, we know that you are here with us. So God, I just give you honor for what you're doing in this place. Be more near to us than we've ever experienced you before. We thank you for what you've done for what you're doing, God, and for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. You know, I don't want to go any further in this service, and you may be quietly be seated, without giving some of you in this room a chance to begin a relationship with Jesus. This is why we exist as a church. Because God sent His Son for all of mankind. But there's a starting point in a relationship with Jesus. And it's more than church membership or attendance. It's just saying yes to Him. It's not through osmosis or thinking good thoughts, but it's just saying, God, I just want to give my life to You. Acknowledging that you're here for me. You see, he paid the cost, the ransom for our sin and shame. And we don't have to be perfect. We just have to surrender. And if you're here today, and you haven't started this journey, then let's make this Christmas season the most miraculous one yet. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. No embarrassment to you. You don't have to get out of your seat. But I want to challenge you to begin this journey today. And as I pray, where you're seated in your own heart, just simply make this the cry of your heart too. And some of us in this room today have been playing with our faith and flirting with destiny. And today is the day to come running back to God. I just want to challenge you as we pray today. Would you pray with me if that's you? And let's make this Christmas the greatest one yet. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray one more time? If that's you, if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or today is a day to come running back, then just right where you're seated, repeat this prayer after me in your own heart. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real, that you love me that you gave your son for me. Would you forgive me, God? Do a work inside of me, God. And just make this statement your own. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. 
Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church.